This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Tonight I'd like to continue our study concerning understanding what the scriptures teach about the Messiah. We began last week by giving a definition for the word Messiah, as well as who our Messiah was and what his name was. All of these things are very significant. It's important that we understand that he was anointed with the Spirit of Yahweh. It's important to know that he was given a name, Yeshua, that literally means he will save. It's important to know that he was the son of Yahweh and not Yahweh himself. As I stated last week, Yahweh is not our Messiah. Yahweh is our Heavenly Father. Yahweh is our Creator. Yahweh is our Almighty. Uh, Yeshua is not any of these. Yeshua is not the Father. Yeshua is not our Creator. Yeshua is not our Almighty. But Yeshua is the only begotten Son of the Father, the firstborn of all creation, and He was given all authority after His resurrection from the dead. You really do not understand Yeshua until you realize that He really is the Son of the Father. Yahweh Almighty does have a Son. What is generally heard so often is that Yahweh, whom most people call God, was incarnated into the form of a man. This teaching comes in primarily two different forms. I guess the most popular form of this teaching is that our Creator is triune. This is called the Trinitarian view of the Creator. They believe there is one Almighty, but... This one Almighty consists of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each of the three persons are equally the Almighty, but at the same time, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Within this view is a view of incarnation. Trinitarianism teaches that while the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are co-eternal, that is, the three persons do not have a beginning, they teach that the Son, at a point in time, chose to be incarnated into the form of a human being. Trinitarians believe that an eternal Son took upon human flesh. Now, the other view that is widely held, albeit not as widely as Trinitarianism, is the oneness view, sometimes called modalism or Sabellianism. The oneness view teaches that there is one Almighty, and this one Almighty manifests or reveals himself in three primary ways. He is the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Now, this view does not believe that the Almighty is triune, but they are instead Unitarian in their view of the Almighty. Nevertheless, they still believe in the doctrine of the Incarnation. They believe that the one Almighty The Father wrapped himself in a robe of flesh, taking upon humanity and being called the Son of Yahweh while he walked upon the earth. Both views do have some biblical truth. And I stress the word some here because I believe that each view 
veers from what the scriptures actually teach about Yeshua the Messiah. The Trinitarians rightly recognize that the Son is not the Father. They present a plain distinction between Yahweh and Yeshua, but at the same time, they still hold that He is the One Almighty. And the oneness view rightly proclaims that Yahweh is not triune, but a singular entity. He's Unitarian in His oneness. That's what we might say as opposed to being Trinitarian. However, the oneness view really does not believe in literal son. I've listened to many, many oneness preachers in my life, and it is extremely rare for them to even mention Yeshua as the son of Yahweh. They only mention him as being Yahweh, or in the church world, they only mention him as being God manifested in the flesh. The reason you never hear the oneness crowd really stress belief in the son of Yahweh is because they don't really believe that the Messiah is Yahweh's son. They instead believe the Messiah is Yahweh manifested as a son. Now, I believe that the biblical view is that there is only one Almighty. This one Almighty is Father Yahweh. He has no co-equals, and he is Unitarian in his oneness. And about 2,000 years ago, he overshadowed a young virgin woman named Miriam, and she miraculously became pregnant without ever knowing a man intimately. For anyone desiring to study more into the virgin conception and the birth of the Messiah, I have sermons on that subject that I can send to you. But my point here, though, is that the child that was born to this virgin woman, Miriam, was the son of Yahweh in a unique way. The Gospel of Luke teaches us that the virgin conception and sonship of Yeshua are intricately linked together. According to a passage like Luke 1, 26-38, Yahweh sent an angel to tell this young Hebrew woman, Miriam, that she would birth a son. The angel tells her in Luke 1.32 that her son will be called the Son of the Most High. Miriam then asks the angel how this is possible, seeing that she has never been intimate with a man. The angel responds by telling her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. The angel continues by saying that it is because of this reason that the Holy One born to her will be called the Son of Yahweh. Now this shows us that the sonship of Yeshua is linked with the fact that Yahweh is the one who caused the conception to take place miraculously. And I cannot stress this enough. The angel very plainly expressed to Miriam that the child born to her would be the Son of the Most High. The angel did not say that the child would be the Most High. And there is a difference between being the Most High and being the Son of the Most High. Yet so many people just glance right over this very, very obvious difference. So I believe that this is the biblical view. Yahweh is our Father, our Creator, our Almighty. And He has a Son, an only begotten Son, Yeshua, who is our Messiah. Uh, they are two persons or two beings, not two almighties or two persons who are equally the almighty, but only one almighty, Father Yahweh, and one begotten Son. So Yahweh is not Yeshua. Yeshua is not Yahweh. There truly is a Father and a Son. That is the biblical teaching. And what I'd like to do tonight is center in on the fact that the Son is mentioned as separate from Yahweh in the Old Testament. 
Now, I do not believe that this means that the sun was actually present during the Old Testament times. I believe that each mention of the sun in the Old Testament or the Tanakh is a prophetic reference. The authors speak or write under the inspiration or we might say the influence of the Spirit of Yahweh. And in doing so, Yahweh's Spirit has them write about a son that Yahweh has. He's spoken about at times as though he is already present. But when studying each text and the Bible as a whole, we see that this is because the Son has always been in the plan of Yahweh. Yahweh foreordained his Son to exist and to accomplish the work he set him out to do. I often show people this by taking them to the New Testament book of Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. This passage says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now I want you to recognize here that Yeshua is called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And when we read this, we automatically recognize that this does not mean that Yeshua was literally hanging upon the cross beside the Father from the foundation of the world. Yeshua hung upon the tree at his death as a human being in his 30s. He did not hang upon the tree from the foundation of the world, or did he? See, we must believe the text of Revelation 13.8, but we must harmonize it with the historical account of the crucifixion, which we know took place in the first century A.D. And the harmonization is that Yeshua was the lamb slain in the foreordained plan of Yahweh. Now, some people that I've spoken this to, point out that the King James Version rendering of Revelation 13.8 is incorrect. They cite the passage in an alternate translation, such as the American Standard Version, which reads, And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him, everyone whose name hath not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that hath been slain. Now, people cite this text and say, See, Matthew, the correct rendering has the names not being written from the foundation of the world. It's not talking about Yeshua being slain from the foundation of the world, they say. And what those objecting here fail to see is that either way that you translate the passage, and I would actually tend to agree that the American Standard Version is more correct in word order, being based upon more ancient Greek New Testament manuscripts. But either way you translate the passage, you see the lamb being slain from the foundation of the world. Look at the American Standard Version again carefully. The people in Revelation 13, verse 8, they worshiped the beast, and their names were not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that hath been slain. See, here the book is called the book of life of the Lamb that hath been slain. That's the name of the book. And how long has this book been in existence? From the foundation of the world. See, we still see the concept of the lamb being slain from the foundation of the world in this proper rendering from the American Standard Version Bible. So my main point is that the son has always been the son. It's just that in the Old Testament, he was the son in prospect, in plan, in foreordination. We see the Apostle Peter mentioning this concept in his work in 1 Peter 1, 18-20, where he speaks of believers being redeemed with the precious blood of Messiah. And Peter likens the Messiah to a lamb without blemish or defect. And then he says in verse 20, Who verily was foreordained 
before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So the Messiah, the Lamb, the Son, was foreordained before the world was founded, just like we learned in Revelation 13.8. But he was not revealed or made known fully until the last times, which is a reference to the first coming of the Messiah back in the first century A.D. So what I want to do now is show you the places in the Old Testament where the Son is mentioned as being the Son and not as being Yahweh. And you not only see a differentiation between Yahweh and Yeshua in the New Testament, but you see it clearly in the Old Testament. And this should not surprise us because the New Testament always harmonizes with the previous foundational revelation of the Old Testament. We're not going to have a Son pop up in the New Testament that was never spoken about in the Old Testament. If we find him in the New, we can be sure that the inspired prophets as well as the genuine followers of Yahweh knew of this promised foreordained son during their lifetime. So the first place I would like to go is Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Here in this verse, we begin by reading a series of questions, uh, the first of which is, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Uh, the next question is, who hath gathered the wind in his fists? The third question is, who hath bound the waters in a garment? And then finally, who hath established all the ends of the earth? Now, when we read these questions, there is certainly a being who comes to mind, and that being is the Almighty. It is the Almighty Creator that established the ends of the earth. He binds up the waters, he gathers the wind, and he has the ability to descend to earth and to ascend to heaven. These questions are designed to make us think of our Creator. But right after this, the author then asks, what is his name? And now I want you to think about this. What is whose name? What is the name of the one who established all the ends of the earth? But the author does not stop here. He goes on to ask, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Now, this teaches us a few things. Number one, it teaches us that the Son is not the Creator. The Son is clearly distinguished from the Creator. It is Almighty Yahweh, and that's the name of the Creator, Yahweh. Yahweh establishes the ends of the earth and binds up the waters in a garment. When the author talks about what is his name, he is referencing the one who accomplishes all those things mentioned in the first part of Proverbs 30, verse 4. When the author asks, what is his son's name, he is talking about the son of the creator, not the creator. The son is mentioned right here in Proverbs 30, verse 4, as the son. He is not mentioned as being Yahweh. He is not mentioned as being the creator. He is not even mentioned as being co-equal or co-eternal. But nonetheless, he is mentioned. The author of Proverbs 30, verse 4, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes of a son that the Almighty Creator has. Those who loved Yahweh in the Old Testament knew of the promised foreordained Messiah, and they equally knew to some degree that he would be the son of Yahweh. Now, let's go one book back to the book of Psalms and read some portions of chapter 2, starting at Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2, we read this. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh, 
and against his anointed. Now, did you catch that? The psalmist is writing about the heathen peoples upon the earth in governmental places, trying to put together a council against Almighty Yahweh. But then it says, and against his anointed. Now, focus on that word anointed there for a second. This word anointed is translated from the Hebrew word Mashiach. It's where we get our English word Messiah. This passage is speaking about the Messiah in prophecy. The rulers do not only come against Yahweh, they also come against Yahweh's Messiah named Yeshua. Now, let's continue to read in this psalm to show that Yahweh's Son is in view. Look at Psalm 2, verse 7, where it says, I will declare the decree Yahweh hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. There we see that the one spoken of as Yahweh's Messiah, back in verse 2, is now being called Yahweh's Son in verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7 is actually quoted by the Apostle Paul in Acts 13.33, where Paul stood up in the synagogue and said, The Almighty hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Yeshua again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. See, Paul recognized that this second psalm, what we now call Psalm 2, verse 7, was about Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. So, Yeshua is recognized as the Messiah in Psalm 2, and now we see he's recognized as the Son in Psalm 2. Now, I want you to notice that he is not recognized as Yahweh in either of these places, and that is because Yeshua is not Almighty Yahweh. He is rather the Son of Almighty Yahweh, and you must believe that. He is Yahweh's Son in order for you to have salvation from your sins. Now, I have to go a little further in this psalm to show you yet another reference to Yeshua as the Son of Yahweh. Look at Psalm 2, same chapter, verses 10 through 12. It reads, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Now, let's think about this text for a minute. The command here to the kings of the earth is to serve Yahweh with fear and even to tremble before Yahweh. But then, a command is given to kiss the son, lest he be angry with thee. And I believe what this text is saying is that if you do not, quote unquote, kiss the son, and I'll explain that word kiss in a second, Yahweh will be angry with thee. I believe Yahweh is the he that is spoken about as getting angry and having a kindled wrath. So this text is in complete alignment with the texts we looked at in last week's lesson where Yeshua was baptized and transfigured. And in both of those texts, Yahweh's voice came from heaven and said this about Yeshua, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yahweh wants us to believe in His Son, and Yahweh gets angry with those who reject his son, as it states right here in Psalm 2, verse 12. Now, what is meant by the word kiss here in Psalm 2, 12? This is the Hebrew word nashak, and it carries with it the idea of bowing down to kiss the hand or the foot of a person in high authority, recognizing that they are the ruler over you. Uh, we see an example of this in 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, where Samuel is recognizing Saul as the king whom Yahweh chose to be over Israel at that time. First Samuel 10.1 reads, 
Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because Yahweh hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Here we see that Samuel was symbolically consecrating Saul in his kingship by anointing him with oil and then kissing him or paying homage to him and recognizing his rulership position. And this is how Yahweh would have us treat his son. Mentioned all through Psalm chapter 2, we are to pay homage to the son. The son is to be revered. And according to the end of Psalm 2 verse 12, if we do not kiss the son, then Yahweh will be angry with us. His wrath will kindle against us. Do you pay homage to the son of Yahweh? Do you believe he is the one Yahweh anointed? Or do you believe he is really almighty Yahweh? in direct contradiction to what Proverbs 30 and 4, Psalm 2, verse 2, Psalm 2, verse 7, and Psalm 2, verse 12 teach. Yahweh has a son, and we are seeing that Yeshua is referenced even in the Old Testament as the son of Yahweh and not as Yahweh. Now, let's go to another passage in 2 Samuel seven fourteen. This passage is usually understood as only talking about David's son Solomon, and I believe that is partly what the passage is about. But it does carry a twofold meaning that I'm going to show here shortly. I'll tell you what, let's begin at reading verse 12, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12, and we'll go through verse 17. It reads, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Now, you can see from the immediate context why people believe Solomon is in view. However, I want you to take note of the text in verse 14 that says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, this is Yahweh talking, and I do believe that part of what Yahweh talks about is in reference to David's son, Solomon. However, the author of the book of Hebrews quotes this text and applies it to Yeshua in Hebrews 1 verse 5, under the inspiration of the Spirit of Yahweh. The context of Hebrews 1 is all about the superiority of the Son over the angelic beings, and in the midst of all this, the author of Hebrews quotes 2 Samuel 7:14, in part as the fulfillment of Yahweh saying, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. Now this proves that Solomon is not the only descendant of David in view in 2 Samuel 7. But Yeshua the Messiah, another descendant of David, is also in view. Now, this should not surprise us because when the angel Gabriel came to Miriam to announce to her that she would give birth to the Messiah, part of what he said was this, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and Yahweh Elohim shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, that's in Luke 1, verse 32. But notice Yahweh gives Yeshua the throne of David. Yeshua is thus the second fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7.14. And in 2 Samuel 7.14, Yeshua is spoke of as not the father, 
Not Yahweh, not the Almighty, but as the Son. Once again, Yahweh says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, notice also the future tense of the father-son relationship. Yeshua had not yet been birthed in Bethlehem at this time. He only existed in the mind or plan of the Almighty, Almighty Yahweh. Thus, the future tense was used in 2 Samuel 7, 14, where he says, I will be to him a father, and he will be or shall be to me a son. Not, he did not say, I already am his father, and he already is my son. See, Yahweh is prophetically speaking of his son, Yeshua, in the future tense when his son would be birthed in Bethlehem. I don't have much time, but I would like to touch on one more text before I close out tonight. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1 is a very important Christological or Messianic passage. In the New Testament, it is alluded to or quoted more than any other Old Testament text. So this should let us know that it is very important that we center in upon this text to understand what it is teaching. When we look at this text intently, we see that there are two lords in the text. And you heard me right, two lords, not one. Now, I know that might sound strange to some people, but I just ask you to follow along and let's humbly look at the text to see what it's saying. Let's read it, Psalm 110, verse 1, and I'm going to read it verbatim from the King James Version. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, first of all, let me point out that David is the author of this psalm. We know this from the words of Yeshua in Matthew 22, verse 43, where Yeshua references David as being in the Spirit when he wrote Psalm 110. So David is making a statement and David writes that the Lord said unto my Lord. David says that one of them speaks to the other. The Lord speaks to my Lord, David says. Now, the first word Lord in this text is all capital letters. And anytime you see the words Lord and God in all capital letters in the King James Version, it is written that way for a reason. It's because the underlying Hebrew text of Scripture actually reads the sacred name of the Almighty in these places. And we should read it how the Most High inspired it to be written. So, David did not really write, The Lord said unto my Lord. David actually wrote, Yahweh said unto my Lord. But the point is still clear. There are two lords. Yahweh is the supreme Lord or Master. But he is speaking something to another that David references as my Lord. We see two lords here. But we also see that one is superior to the other. They are not equal. We can know for certain who this second Lord is by reading the rest of the verse. Yahweh says to David's Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, I don't think I need to go into much explanation how that after Yeshua's resurrection, he ascended to heaven and took his seat at the right hand of the Almighty. I'm going to quote one verse from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. This verse reads, Which he, speaking of the Father, wrought in the Messiah when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. See, it was after the resurrection of the Messiah that he was set at the Father's right hand, not before. And this also teaches us once again that although Yeshua is spoken about here in Psalm 110 as the second Lord, David's Lord whom Yahweh spoke to, he is only spoken about prophetically because at the time Psalm 110.1 was initially written, Yeshua was not resurrected, thus he had not yet been invited to the Father's right hand. 
Nonetheless, we see here yet another text that refers to Yeshua in the Old Testament, and he takes a lesser position under Almighty Yahweh. Now, I hope that as we've combed through these texts tonight, it's been a blessing to you. I know that every time I get into the Father's Word, it's so precious because he continues to teach us more and more. And I sure hope that this lesson has provoked you to believe in Yahweh's Son. You cannot be saved without the Son of Yahweh. You really have to believe that Yahweh has a Son in order to be saved. You cannot come into the house of Yahweh any other way but through His Son. And tonight we've seen that not only does the New Testament teach it, but the New Testament is just reiterating what the Old Testament had already taught. And I'd like to offer a free book to anybody that asks. This book is titled, Who Then Is This? A Comprehensive Study on the Identity of the Messiah. It is a book that goes into great detail about what we've discussed tonight, and I'd be glad to send you a copy, free and postpaid. I just want to make this available to you because it is so very important. And I ask you to please, please be a Berean and check out what I presented tonight. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.